0: You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Locked On NFL Tuesdays. I'm here. I'm Luke Braun. I'm here with Ross Jackson. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Head on over to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you. How's it going, Ross? Welcome to our our new digs.
2: Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Very excited to be here with you and uh, love that we can uh, kick off these Tuesdays on the revamped Locked on NFL. I'm loving it.
1: Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Of course, you guys all listened to Peter yesterday, talk about all the clowny news, and then talk to the uh, AFC and NFC West, which are two really interesting divisions. Today, Mm -hmm. we have the Easts. Uh, and we also have a, an interesting update on the clowny news, but I really want to start with the biggest news of the day that came out on Monday, which is Chiefs punter Dustin Colquitt signing a one year. <laughs> to, no, just kidding. That is clearly the biggest
2: move, the sort of groundbreaking move of uh, the most
1: impactful thing to happen. <laughs> Um, No, let's talk about the clowny thing for a little bit. Uh, So Peter went into it yesterday, but I think it's probably worth mentioning like how that came to fruition and all of the wild uh, behind the scenes stuff that went down with the saints making that weird final push. And now I guess the Ravens and Jaguars are involved. So can you explain this like Riverdale esque web of lies to me? <laughs> That's the perfect way to explain it. it. It was very, it was very odd. So I, I'm the host of the locked on
2: saints podcast, Luke with locked on Vikings. So we're pretty close to these teams, uh, you know, that are all involved in this in some form or another. Absolutely but, no <laughs> elephant
1: in the room here. Not one. No elephant in the room for us at all. Everything's fine. Everything's
2: fine. Um, but, you know, we'll have a nice Christmas day or Christmas week episode coming up, I'm sure.
1: But Can't um, wait to ruin Christmas.
2: <laughs> but when it comes down to what happened in the Saints' pursuit of Jadeveon Clowney, it got weird, as, as things often do in New Orleans. Uh, the Saints and Mickey Loomis did their best to figure out some way to pull off the NFL's first ever s- essentially sign-and-trade, like you would see, in the NBA, they wanted to get a team that has been unnamed, though it's believed to be the Browns, to sign Judevian Clowney in a one-year $10 million, sorry, $15 million deal with a $5 million signing bonus, and then trade Clowney to the Saints so that the Saints could pick up the tab with what they were willing to pay, which was a one-year $10 million deal. And in exchange for picking up $5 million, the Saints were going to send a second-round pick and an unnamed player to help relieve some additional salary cap space itself. So that's where all of this started, and then it just got further complicated with the news that came out today. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's a lot like the Brock Osweiler thing the Browns did. So it would make sense that it was, that it was the Browns, but that's like not confirmed. Right. But now I guess the, the Ravens and Jaguars were like planning to do the same thing if the league had said yes to – oh, yeah, you, if, the, if the league had like allowed the Saints to do a sign and trade, then it sounds like the Ravens would have done the same sign and trade but with a higher price tag, thus stealing Clowney away and stealing the ingenuity and just like leaving the Saints high and dry no matter how you look at it. It's, it's one of those things where you're like I cannot explain to you
2: how absolutely livid I would have been because what would have happened essentially is that first <laughs> – the Jaguars would have signed Jadavion Clowney. Everyone would have gone nuts about that. And then they would have traded him to the Ravens. Everyone would have gone nuts about that. And then we would have found out that this whole move was sort of orchestrated and blueprinted by the New Orleans Saints who were in line to then have actually gotten him via, we'll just say the Cleveland Browns. But it was it would have been absolutely wild had it not worked out. So I'm actually kind of glad that it didn't because that would have been really, really, really frustrating. But it is interesting to watch now seeing that there were four teams that were involved in this model that could have pulled it off. I'm curious to see if the NFL creates a conversation around this becoming a thing after the 2021 offseason.
1: Yeah, I could see it being like a competition committee thing next year. But I want to move on to some more concrete stuff because, I mean, it sounds like there's just no universe where the Saints were getting clowny no matter what they did, even nope. with all of the like the, the ingenuity, <laughs> the innovative strategies here. But I want to talk a little bit. Let's, let's go to Miami, where they've named a starting quarterback. They've named Ryan Fitzpatrick as the starting quarterback, which means uh, that Tua Tagovailoa is not ready to play yet. Um, and there was a really interesting post, not necessarily related to this, but very relevant from uh, Namita. She's at NN Stats on Twitter. She worked for the Eagles for a long time. I think she works for the Seattle Kraken in the NHL now. Uh, and she did a, a cool little visualization of like the first games that a quarterback started, where you can kind of see how long it took for like young quarterbacks to be ready. Um, so I, I sent that to you, Ross, what is your takeaway from this? And we'll link it in the show notes so that you all can look for yourselves as well. But it's a really interesting thing. It's all the young quarterbacks from the last five years and like how long they took to play. So what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you, you look at this
3: and
2: then you see there's like one outlier that stands out like a sore thumb and all of this. But when you look at all of the players that were drafted in, the, all the quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round, there seems to be in each of their, with maybe the exception, no, not even an exception, actually, with a near exception of Patrick Mahomes, who, of course, as we know, is the, probably the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, there was sort of a thrust to get them started within their first season and get them some playing time within their first season and in some cases that has worked well kyler murray in arizona Uh, of course patrick mahomes who started the very last game of the two of his of his rookie season Uh, daniel jones in new york who's become the guy you'll hear more from patricia treyna about him in the second segment today as we go through the nfl i'm sorry the nfc east but then there's also a couple of guys like marcus Mariota. And some others that like Josh Rosen, for instance, who just ended up being released by the Dolphins and then signed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that show you a different sort of view of data points. But then you look at all these other players that have been drafted post-first round, a lot of them sitting around for some time, except for the fact that Dak Prescott, who was drafted at 135 overall, has started every game of his career since he came into the league. But when I look at this- There was it an is, injury
1: there too, I think, Yeah,
2: yeah, probably. absolutely. And so you look a little bit at the way that this is, is formulated, and there's a lot of information here about what this could potentially look like for players that start off early and then that don't start soon enough.
1: Yeah, I see like it really everybody is their own kind of anecdote here. Like it's really difficult to establish a pattern and it kind of just seems like there's a lot of different ways to find success and there's a lot of different ways to find failure. I mean, you've got Deshaun Kaiser. He started week one. Obviously, that didn't work out. Dak Prescott, he worked out. Uh, You know, you have Marcus Mariota. He started week one. That was certainly up and down to be generous about it. Um, And you have guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes that took a while, but you also have guys like, I mean, like Will Greer took a while, but obviously there weren't many expectations there. But, you know, somebody Mm -hmm. like Paxton Lynch took a while, never really caught on. So I I think... With like this decision, I mean, what it means for Miami, we'll have to hear about that from Kyle Krabs and stuff, or go over to like Locked On Dolphins for that. But like, I think what it means for Tua is very little. I, I think mm-hmm. we just like whatever you thought. I mean, it might just take a while to transition to the NFL. He could be in the game by week three. It's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick has a, a stranglehold on any starting jobs right. at this point in his career. So I, I think that Tagovailoa, he's as fine as he was before this decision.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regardless of whichever way you go with him, there's the opportunity for him to be everything that the dolphins hope that he would be when they took him here in this uh, 2020 draft. And uh, you know, it's, it's tough to kind of play hard and fast with any of these data points, but it is interesting because there's also some players that the jury's still out on, like Baker Mayfield, for instance. That's still, you know, a wildly popular conversation in terms of what he might turn out to be versus what he might not turn out to be. There's still conversations around, you know, what happens if Josh Rosen ends up you know, in a couple of years becoming exactly what everyone had hoped when he came into the NFL originally with the Cardinals. So it, it's an interesting sort of pattern to look at, but I think you're absolutely right. It's hard to really dictate or or really sort of substantiate a claim in either way in terms of what is better for an NFL quarterback.
1: Yeah, so I guess the, the bottom line is now is maybe not the time to rush to any judgments, but we have a lot to get to because we have eight interviews with eight locked-on NFL Network hosts, Uh, from the NFC East and the AFC East to preview their teams so that you can uh, take these to work or school or whatever and uh, you can sound like you know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, we got you covered all through both of those divisions. And it doesn't stop today. We wrap up tomorrow with the AFC and NFC North. That's going to be Tony Wiggins of Locked On Jags and James uh, Rappian of Locked On Bengals, bringing you all of that ahead of Thursday, where Chris Carter and Ryan Tracy take you into the Thursday night game. We're just a couple of days away from the NFL kicking off. And we got you covered all throughout the week here on Locked On NFL. Today's episode of Locked on NFL is brought to you by Rock Auto, rockauto.com, everything that you could possibly need for your vehicle.
1: And a lot more than you could ever conceivably need. (laughs) It's very true. Okay, so I have a question. Do you know what oil your car takes? Like, do you really, like, if you were priced, if you were tasked with buying oil for your car, would you know, like, what kind to get? I unfortunately do not. I feel like most people don't. So, But if you go to Rock Auto, you can just enter your make, your model, and your year, go to oil, and they'll sort through all of it for you so you know that you're getting the thing that is right for whatever your car is. And there's a ton of makes and models out there, so it makes sense to customize.
2: Everything that you could ever imagine, and like Luke said, way more, you can find over at rockauto, rockauto rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts that your car will ever need. So head on over
1: to rockauto.com and uh, whatever you buy there, make sure you go enter in the how you heard about us" section that locked on sent you.
2: So the Philadelphia Eagles look to make it back to the playoffs. So the fourth year in a row here in 2020 joined by Louis DiBiase of locked on Eagles. Follow him over on Twitter at DiBiase L O E Thank you very much for joining us here on locked on NFL today.
4: Thanks for having me Ross. One week away until the season opener, man. It's Ooh. football time.
2: Ooh, it's it's something else and I'm so excited and uh, excited to dive into this conversation here with you about these Mm. Philadelphia Eagles. So let's start off with some of the recent moves. Uh, Here we are on the opposite side of the 53 man roster cuts and certainly some tinkering is still going on and far from done. But the Eagles have chosen to move on from Rasul Douglas now with the Carolina Panthers and Sidney Jones for now. How is the Philly secondary shaping up here in 2020 after quite a bit of turnover this offseason?
4: Yeah, Howie Roseman wrote down three things uh this offseason at the end of the 2019 season when they lost to the Seahawks in the wild card round. Can they run? Mm-hmm. Do they want to play? And can they play? Are they available? And injuries have been such a huge part of this team's uh makeup the past 3 years and they've been mm-hmm. able to make the playoffs three straight years despite that. I mean, I've never seen anything like it and all the injuries are different. It's the old guys, mm-hmm. young guys, injury-prone players, players with no injury history at all, so they just can't shake that, and with Sidney Jones, he kind of really represents that. This summer, he could have fought for that CB2 spot uh, with Avante Maddox and Razul Douglas, but he was dealing with, yet again, hamstring issues and soft tissue injuries, and that mm-hmm. is the definition to me of an injury-prone guy. So he just needs a change of scenery, and the Eagles don't need him as much despite taking him in the second round. They don't need Razul Douglas anymore, who they just didn't see as a fit in this defense. They didn't want a guy that wasn't matchup-proof, that couldn't cover fast receivers. Again, it was all about speed this offseason, and that's why they brought in Darius Slay and Nikkel mm-hmm. Roby Coleman in the slot, and they're going to start. Yeah, Avante Maddox is 5'9", but he can jump, and he can run, and he's got quick hips, so that's the way they're going in the defensive backfield. Exciting stuff going
2: on over on the offense as well. None more exciting, in my opinion, than wide receiver Jalen Rager. What is the expectation yep. for not only Rager but also the rest of the receiving options for this Eagles squad?
4: Yeah. So I mentioned speed. How he went all in. How he rose. The Eagles GM <laughs> went all in. On speed, he brought in Jalen Rager in the first round over Justin Jefferson because they want that home run hitter to eventually replace Deshaun Jackson, and they want more than one of those guys out there. When Deshaun went down last year, they didn't have that option. They were a compact offense; teams were stacking the box, and they didn't care that Carson Wentz had a big arm and could run around and push the ball out of field because there was no one to do that. Jalen Rager is going to do that from the start. He's going to probably he's going to miss the season opener against Washington. He could be back against Los Angeles. If not, the most realistic timetable is that he returns week three against the Cincinnati Bengals. So mm-hmm. Rager is going to be look with Alshon Jeffrey's injury with Deshaun Jackson's age, he's going to be to me one of the two receivers that play pretty much every snap, even in twelve personnel. He's going to be on the field, and uh, they they doubled down. It wasn't just Jackson and Rager as plans for you know deep threats run after the catchability. In the fifth round, in the sixth round, they drafted John Hightower out of Boise State and Quez Watkins out of Southern Mississippi. Quez Watkins ran the second fastest 40 times, so they went all in on getting Wentz speed around the offense. Uh,
2: wrapping up here with Louis DiBiase, co-host of the Locked on Eagles podcast. Make sure you check him out uh, wherever you get your podcast. Louie, uh, we can have a little quick conversation because you and Gino did a really great job at breaking down uh, sort of what they're going to do without Andre Dillard, the left tackle there, mm-hmm. but also the quarterback situation. Has grown quite interesting. The Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts, and of course Carson Wentz is the guy. But they also just added Josh McCown, who signed for a very specific purpose. What's the outlook yeah. at the quarterback position and keeping them clean for the Eagles this year?
4: Hurts is going to be that backup for Wentz long term, and yeah, Josh McCown's kind of your quarantine quarterback. They're paying him uh, twelve thousand dollars every week to stay at home and in Texas be your emergency quarterback. He's the oldest practice squad player in NFL history at 41 years old. So it's, uh, it's, look, it's it's interesting. It's a good situation to be in, to have Wentz and Hertz and Sudfeld. That's a talented trio. Um, who's going to protect them at left tackle? That's the biggest concern I have with this team right now with Andre Dillard going down. Yeah, you have a Hall of Fame left tackle available in Jason Peters, who re-signed to play right guard to replace Brandon Brooks. Now he's, Kind of in like a this weird holdout where he wants more money to play left tackle. Mm. I'm hoping they can resolve this issue with Peters. Just give him a little more maybe in guarantees and, and incentives and get this thing right. Because the Eagles matchup week one starts with a really daunting task up front. So I'm hoping JP is the answer at left tackle without Dillard.
2: Well, best of luck to uh, your Eagles and to you guys over at Locked On Eagles all throughout the uh, season here. It's going to be a ton of fun, and we appreciate you coming through.
1: Thanks, Ross. Okay, I'm here with Marcus Mosher of Locked On Cowboys. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to start with uh, just talking about the coaching situation. Of course, last year, Jason Garrett fired after the season and after maybe a long overdue firing, uh, and now Mike McCarthy has a long tenure, but also kind of a spotty reputation if you ask any Packers fans. So what do, how do the expectations change with Mike McCarthy versus Jar- Jason Garrett?
5: Yeah, I think this is the first time in a long time the Cowboys and their fans are excited about the coach. Now, I don't think Mike McCarthy is anything special, but is he an upgrade over Jason Garrett? I, I think so. Uh, but the expectations for the Cowboys are this should be a playoff team at the very worst. Even in Mike McCarthy's first year, This is a roster that is ready to go and compete uh, in the NFC. Are they expected to be, you know, one of the best teams in the NFC? I I don't think so. But, uh, yeah, the expectations for McCarthy are get into the playoffs, potentially win a a playoff game, and at least show that uh, this team is ready to compete. Definitely an an NFC. If you ask me, I'm pretty high on the Cowboys, and a big part
1: of that Good. is because of the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a big part of that is because of that roster, especially on defense. If you just go up and down that defense, uh, I, I'm not too familiar with the secondary, so maybe you can explain that to me. But the linebacker of course, is elite: Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch, and all those guys. And the defensive line, of course, is well documented: Demarcus Lawrence, newly Everson Griffin. Please take care of him for me. Um, so <laughs> with with that defense, I mean, can we be confident this is, this is going to be one of the best units in the league?
5: I have my reservations about this being an elite defensive unit, but I, I think what the Cowboys are trying to do here is they know um, that their offense is going to be really, really good. So the defense doesn't have to be great. All they need to be able to do is create turnovers and get the occasional stop. And I think they built a defense that's going to be super aggressive with new defensive coordinator, Mike Nolan, uh, defensive line coach, Jim Tom Sewell is one of the best in the league. Uh, And with their pass rushers that you mentioned and their linebackers, uh, they're going to dare teams to throw the ball down the field and be aggressive against them. Uh, And I think in time, this defense does have a chance to get to an elite level. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about the secondary because they're relying on so many young players there. Uh, But I think you're right in, in assessing this. This is a defensive group that has the potential to be much better than they were last year. That makes a lot of sense. And since
1: we have a minute here, what's the secret of the, I feel like every local uh, local host has their like secret player or breakout guy that the national kind of stage doesn't really know about. uh, But everybody's buzzing about in, in the organization. So who
5: is that for the Cowboys? Who should I look up that I don't know about yet? Yeah, I'll give you two, one on each side of the ball. Uh, Because of the, all the receivers that the Cowboys have and the running game and Dak Prescott, uh, the guy that's going to be you know, left alone a lot in the passing game is Blake Jarwin. Uh, he was one of the most explosive tight ends in the league last year in a complementary role uh, with Jason Witten. He's had a fantastic training camp. I think he's going to have a monster season, uh, potentially put up some like Austin Hooper-like numbers uh, in this Cowboys offense. And then on defense, it's Alden Smith. After not playing football in five years, there was uh, some reservations about how he would fit in, uh, how healthy he would be. Um, how, you know, in shape he is. And by everything that we've seen so far in camp, uh, he's been absolutely fantastic.
1: Excellent. That's Marcus Mosher with Locked On Cowboys. Thank you so much, Marcus.
5: Yep. Thank you.
2: So the New York Giants are coming out of a tough season last season, but still not a lot of doom and gloom in the Meadowlands after a promising, a bunch of promising moments all throughout the year. So today we're joined by Patricia Trainer, host of the Locked on Giants podcast and senior writer at GiantsCountry.com. Patricia, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Talk some New York Giants today.
0: No problem, Ross. Always happy to be on with you.
2: I appreciate that. Certainly, we'll find more reasons to do it, but let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, Patricia, let's start off with some of the recent news. The Giants signed Logan Ryan, defensive back, formerly of the Tennessee Titans, late in the offseason. Where does Logan Ryan best benefit the Giants' defense, and what does he bring in addition to this team?
0: Wow. I mean, you talk about a significant upgrade, Ross. I mean, Logan Ryan is a guy who can play on the perimeter he could play safety he could play in the slot he can basically fill a lot of different roles for the Giants roles that I think they anticipated they were going to to have Xavier McKinney do before he suffered the broken foot so in bringing in Logan Ryan this is a guy who has experience and who has performed you know pretty well as recently as last year he's also a guy who Joe Judge is familiar with from their time together in New England. Patrick Mm -hmm. Graham, who also had him in New England um, when he was on staff there. So just, I think Logan Ryan made that defensive backfield, and in particular the cornerbacks group, which quite frankly I thought was going to be a strength of the team, but ended up being a weakness given, you know, the DeAndre Baker situation, Mm -hmm. Sam Beal upping out. I think Logan Ryan solidifies that quarterback position and also provides the versatility that the Giants need for the defensive backfield.
2: You can follow Patricia on Twitter at Patricia underscore Traina T-A, sorry, T-R-A-I-N-A over on the offensive side. Patricia, the Giants underwent a quarterback change in season. The now retired Eli Manning gave way to the young talent of Daniel Jones. But what's the outlook on Jones going into year two?
0: Well, I think everybody is very bullish about Daniel Jones. When you look <laughs> at what he did last year, Um, Take away the fumbles now, which obviously were a big problem. And everybody, you know, is acknowledging that nobody's sugarcoating that. But if you take away that, you know, this is a kid who led them from behind. This is a kid who made some big throws. This is a kid who was, you know, cool under fire. And this is also a quarterback who allowed them to open up a whole new level of a playbook. They really didn't have the mobility in terms of running RPOs, in terms of, you know, play action rollouts and all that stuff. Now they have that with Daniel Jones, who can also serve as as a runner, you know, if if they Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to do that. So just, I think they're very bullish on him, but obviously they need him to clean up the fumbles. They need him to show that he can, you know, be successful making his second, third, fourth read. Um, you know, most of the reads he made last year, I think were his first read. I think it was like something like 70% of the throws he made were on his first read. So they're going to expand his playbook a little bit if you will and um go to more of a vertical passing game. So I think Daniel Jones, he's going to be a good fit for what they do, but you know, they just he needs to do it. And and they're very bullish on him. They like what they've seen from him and I've like what I've seen from him as well. So uh, we'll see.
2: Wrapping up here with Patricia Traina of Locked On Giants. You can hear her every Monday through Friday over on the show wherever you get your podcast. Patricia, one of the biggest giant storylines so far. Heading into the NFL kickoff here has been head coach Joe Judge. Uh, What have you heard from players, though, about his effect as a coach and how it prepares him for the 2020 season?
0: You know, I think, Ross, a lot of the people who were complaining about Joe Judge have never been to a practice, have never talked to the guy, have never talked to the players. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of – they're veteran players, you know, and and that type of approach might not necessarily work with veteran players. If you go back to 2004 when Tom Coughlin walked in the door – he had a similar style where he was a bit of a quote unquote hard ass. By contrast, Joe Judge is coming in. He has a lot of players who are 25 years old or under. Mm-hmm. They haven't really done anything. They're wet behind the ears. So, I know in having, you know, done research for a book that I have coming out, um a lot of the younger players that I spoke with on the 2014 said, "Hey, you know, I was a young player. I didn't know any better." So I just thought that was the, the norm. What mm-hmm. Coughlin was was printing. I think it's the same situation now with the giant players. I think you guys who realize that look, what was working before or, or what they had before wasn't working. Judge is coming in, and not only is he you know being very demanding of them, but the thing he's doing that Coughlin didn't do is that Joe Judge is taking the time to explain to these guys why things have to be the way they are, and I think if people understand why they're being asked to do something even if they don't necessarily agree but if they can see the big picture Mm -hmm. I think you're more likely to get buy-in and I think that's what's happening with the Giants
2: I love it best of luck with the Giants this season and all your great work over at Locked on Giants we appreciate you coming through
0: thanks for having me
1: All right, I'm here with Chris Russell, host of Locked On Washington football team. And of course, you know, Washington's been in the headlines for a whole bunch of reasons, all of them off field. Let's focus on the on field stuff today. Because the quarterback situation is fascinating. You might might even get some Alex Smith at some point, but he's obviously not going to be ready for a while. So right now, it's the Dwayne Haskins show. And in year two, the expectations, I would guess, would increase, but it could be different. It could be increased to just hope he's serviceable, to does he bring you to be a playoff team? So what should we be expecting from Dwayne Haskins here in 2020?
6: Luke, there's a tremendous divide. I think nationally and a lot of football personnel people that I talk to don't really love Dwayne Haskins didn't love him coming out of the draft, you know, thought he would take a long time to develop if he even did didn't like some of his maturity or immaturity work ethic. He has changed a lot of that. And he has really, really, really dedicated himself on and off the field to being a better leader, uh, to working harder, to being more, uh, I guess, diligent in his preparation. He was not ready at all last year. And some of that was on him and some of that was on the old coaching staff. Um, So I would say this, there's a lot expected of him. And I don't think... You know, you mentioned Alex Smith. One name you didn't mention was Kyle Allen. Now, he's had a bad camp, in my opinion, but he knows the offense, and he's very mobile and athletic behind a shoddy offensive line. So if Dwayne Haskins regresses or gets injured, we can't rule out either Kyle Allen or Alex Smith. But I think this is Dwayne Haskins' show to roll, uh, again, unless he gets injured – at least for the first part of the season, and then you'd probably see if he's really bad after four or five games. Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, uh, maybe uh, pull the plug.
1: Man, it is really just like a, a Panthers graveyard over there. I didn't realize how many, <laughs> how many like former Panther like names I associate with the Panthers. But let's move yeah. to the defensive side since it is you know a Ron Rivera team. Um, with there's like a lot of star studded. Names like on that defense, you've got, of course, Chase Young, everybody's excited about, but other guys that were really exciting during the draft, like Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, um, you know, even veterans like Ryan Kerrigan and stuff. There is a lot of really good talent on that side of the ball. But I feel like we don't hear about the Washington defense as much as we should, but it seemed like it was a pretty good unit in 2019. And it probably only got better with the second overall pick joining the squad. So uh, did, would you call them like an underrated team? Is it, is it a defensive unit we should really like keep an eye out for that can keep you in a game, even with uh, you know, young, like developing quarterbacks?
6: I think it's underrated for 2020, meaning projecting and looking ahead. You mentioned adding Chase Young, Jack, uh, Ron Rivera. The one guy, the one coach that's not from Carolina, I mean, he did coach there early in his career, is Jack Del Rio. He's also added as a defensive coordinator, and he's going to be aggressive and up-tempo, and he wants these guys to get after, you know, stop the run on the way to the quarterback. So I think there are going to be a lot more one-gapping aggressive as opposed to kind of the two gap read and react type three, four defense that they have been Um, to say that they were underrated in 2019. I, I wouldn't say that just because they would come out, get, you know, like gangbusters in the first quarter, first quarter and a half of almost every game. And then just absolutely melt because they couldn't get off the field on third down because communication was bad in the, uh, in, in the defensive backfield because they couldn't, you know, Just make that one tackle that they needed to make to prevent again another first down to keep them on the field. They didn't get a lot of help from their offense. So, again, they were asked to play a lot of snaps, a lot of minutes. They didn't have as much depth. Um, So, again, to me in 2019, they weren't underrated. They were actually, in my opinion, they were overrated based on what I was expecting and I think what others were expecting in 2019. But because of that, they might be underrated in 2020, if that makes sense.
1: Excellent. And real quick, uh, one word. I I think right now the over-under on my bookie for the Washington football team is five and a half. you taking
6: the over the under? I'm going over. That's three words. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. (laughs) I I didn't have to think much about that. I'm going over. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris.
2: All right, everybody, joined by the great Mike Debate, joining us on today's show to talk New England Patriots at. M-Debate-FPC on Twitter, host of the Locked On Patriots podcast. You can catch him every day. You can also catch him every morning, every weekday, over at Full Press Coverage with FPC Radio Live. Mike, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today on the new look Locked On NFL. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, So we, of course, have to start at the quarterback situation because we are talking about the New England Patriots, after all. Tom Brady, in the offseason, heads to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the Patriots never really worse for wear as they bring in Former Panthers quarterback and NFL MVP Cam Newton. Newton recently named the starter week one and one of the offensive captains as well. Clearly, Newton is fitting in just fine. Can you speak a bit to his effect on the coaching staff and the player personnel?
7: Well, his effect has been essentially what all of New England hoped for when they signed Cam. He's providing that fun-loving attitude that I think the Patriots and their fans are really going to take to Cam. Look, bottom line, it's not so much about the attitude that he brings off the field or the fun that he can bring on the field. It's about what he can do on the field, and I've been very impressed with what I've seen from Cam Newton so far. Some of the things that I've been keeping my eye on, Ross, is whether or not Cam is able to step into his throws, whether or not he still has the ability to use the shoulder to get the ball downfield, Mm -hmm. whether his footwork was going to be slowed by some of the problems he's had injury-wise. Can he still roll out? facilitate the throw, but then use his legs as an option to be able to extend plays and be able to make plays. It's not just an option for Cam when nothing else is there. He has the ability to pick and choose exactly how he wants to run this offense. And I really believe that Cam Newton is healthy. He's locked in. He's been very coachable. He's gaining an awful lot of praise from Bill Belichick. Which I can tell you, having covered this team now for three and a half years, that is not something that is easily given by Bill. He's earned the respect of the players. They voted him in as captain. That says a lot about how they feel he's going to be able to lead this team. Uh, The Patriots definitely did a good job, and they got a good one in Cam Newton.
2: Here with Mike DeBate of Locked On Patriots, you can catch them every single Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts from. A couple of big defensive opt-outs for the uh, team this offseason. Can the Patriots' defense remain dominant in 2020 without uh, those uh, couple of players that opted out there in
7: Hightower and chunk? Look, you can't lose guys like Patrick Chung, like Dante mm-hmm. Hightower. Can't forget, they also lost Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, right. Landon Roberts in that land- linebacking core. That was such a big part of the way that the Patriots played defense last year. The good thing that they do have is young, exciting, hungry players that are ready to fall into this defense and make a big-time impact. One guy to keep your eye on is Juwan Bentley, a linebacker mm-hmm. that will essentially take on that Hightower-type role. A couple of years ago, when he came out and came in as a rookie, Bill Belichick put the green dot on the back of his helmet. Again, not something that usually happens, but they're very impressed with the positional versatility. He can utilize his responsibilities ranging from downhill run defense to pass rush and coverage. He is the type of guy that can keep the linebacking core in check. So keep an eye on Juwan Bentley on the safety side. Chung leaves a big hole, but Kyle Duggar, the Division Mm -hmm. II rookie out of Lenoir Rhine, has been a very quick study in this defense. So, may not be as dominant of a defense as we saw last year from New England, but it'll still be the strength of this team. Now that the
2: 53 man rosters are set, things are maybe a little bit clearer for the Patriots faithful, led, of course, by. Head coach Bill Belichick, what does this roster construction as it stands right now tell you about the Patriots going into 2020?
7: Well, what it tells me is that this ta- this offense especially is going to be, once again, tailor-made to Cam Newton. Uh, the type of offensive backfield that was put in place by the Patriots, whether it be Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, James White, these are all adept running backs that can play very well with a quarterback with the running skill of a uh, a Cam Newton. The wide receiver core is going to be quick. They're going to be compact, but they're going to be guys that can spread the field a little bit. As far as the defense goes, like we said, I think there's going to be some shift at the outside linebacker position. Um, guys like Shalique Calhoun, Derek Rivers, John Simon and Chase particularly, I think are going to have big years. The strength of the defense is still going to be on the cornerbacks. Uh, Stefan Gilmore, JC Jackson, two of the most potent cornerbacks in the AFC, maybe in the league. I think you can make the argument that that may be one of the best one-two combinations in the defensive backfield mm-hmm. in the NFL. The question is whether or not the guys, the skill position players are going to be up to the challenge. That could really derail the Patriots if it's discovered they can't. But ultimately, if Cam can get these guys to play up to snuff. I think it's going to be an interesting year in New England.
2: That's Mike DeBate, everybody, covering the new look New England Patriots here on the new look Locked on NFL. Make sure that you grow him follow at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C on Twitter and check him out over at the Locked on Patriots podcast every day. Mike, thank you very much for joining us.
7: My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you to uh, Ross. Take care and enjoy the season coming up, folks.
1: All right, I'm here with Joe Marino of Locked on Bills. Joe, so of course, you know, when you think Bills, you think Josh Allen and the volatility that comes with Josh Allen, but he's really set up this year. Not only do you add Stefan Diggs, please take care of my baby boy. uh, You had already a pretty good wide receiver core, a decent O-line around him. It, It seems like it's really like now or never for a breakout season for Josh Allen. So my question is, can we expect that? Can we rely on that? Or is this still surrounded with a whole bunch of question marks?
8: Well, the good news for Josh Allen is that the Bills have done a wonderful job of building around him and creating a, a situation where he can thrive, and, and, and it's on him. They've isolated him as the one piece that um, can fairly be evaluated because everything else around him is so good. Obviously, the defense is outstanding. The offensive line is formidable. They have a great receiving core in Diggs, Brown, Beasley. Uh, good running back situation in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary with an up-and-coming tight, tight end at and Dawson Knox with the same coordinator, offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, that he's been with since he got drafted. And so there's a ton of continuity, there's weapons, there's everything that he needs to be successful. So now it's up to Josh to take that next step. And the the encouraging part of believing that Josh Allen can do that is he's done nothing but grow since he walked into the NFL. Remember his starting point at Wyoming, a very inconsistent quarterback coming out of Wyoming that was literally just all tools and traits and, and not a guy that was a very consistent player even in the Mountain West. And so he comes into the NFL and he takes his lumps early. But the player that he was early in his rookie season to the end of his rookie season, a lot of growth. And then you saw this player in year two enter the, the season with a lot of growth from the player we saw at the end of his rookie season. And that continued throughout the course of last season. And then you go into to year three and, and this like I've kind of already alluded to, the stage is set for him to have everything that he needs to succeed and um, it's, it's, it's an exciting idea because he's, he's a big-time leader, he, he's, he's worked really hard, and he has all the physical tools to, to really reach a high ceiling. It's just uh, up to him to take advantage of everything at his disposal.
1: And since, I mean, last year was a playoff year and pretty much every playoff team going into the next year, it's gotta be Super Bowl or bust. But a big part of that is also utilizing all the talent that there is on defense. And it is a stacked unit. I mean, Jordan Poyer, Trey White, Jerry Hughes, Jermaine Edmonds. Is there anybody else on that defense that I should pay attention to? Like, who don't I know about?
8: Yeah, it's, it's good players throughout, and it's really good coaching under uh, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. And a lot of continuity when it comes to this defensive side of the football. The back seven is outstanding. And keep in mind, this has been a top three defense each of the last – two seasons with nothing fluky. We've seen defenses that are good because they have an outrageous amount of sacks one season or a lot of turnovers or a lot of defensive touchdowns. The Bills are just a fundamentally sound defense where everybody does their job and there's a lot of talent. It's sustainable. I know defense is difficult to sustain in the NFL, but that's usually because fluky things happen. A high percentage of forced fumbles wind up being recovered. That's not the case with this Bills defense. It's just fundamentally sound and Uh, There's a lot of individually good players, but what's exciting to me the most about this year's Bills defense is Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have not had this type of depth on the defensive line. I think they're they're probably nine deep when it comes to formidable NFL players, when it comes to their defensive tackle and defensive end rotation combined. And that's going to allow for guys to be fresh. It's going to allow for them to get creative because there's so many different skill sets that exist within that group where they can run twists and stunts and really just get after after offensive lines and, and make things difficult with a lot of really talented guys on that back seven. Obviously, a big year is expected for Ed Oliver, a top ten pick from 2019. Uh, he came on uh, really well last year. They've added Quentin Jefferson and Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, who's averaged nine sacks a year for the last four seasons, is now in the mix. Jerry Hughes is still here. Trent Murphy is still here. Uh, so there's there's just a lot of depth. There's a lot of talent, and it's a cohesive unit that has been together now for for three years in terms of the, the nucleus core of this group with a lot of young players that have continued to get better and they're getting better around each other. So just a sound, disciplined, fundamentally sound football team, uh, especially when it comes to defense.
1: Excellent. And, you know, as a Vikings fan, it's really fun to watch Leslie Frazier thrive over there. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, no
8: problem, Luke.
2: Welcoming into today's episode of Locked on NFL, the grindfather himself, Kyle Krabs, at Grinding the Tape on Twitter. You can catch him every Monday through Friday over at Locked on Dolphins. He's also the director of scouting for our friends at the Draft Network and lead editor over at Dolphins Wire for USA Today. Kyle, thank you very much for joining us to talk uh, Miami Dolphins here today.
3: Listen, if you ever want to get me on the phone, just tell me we're talking Dolphins football and I'll be there.
2: I can't blame you for it, because the Dolphins are a very interesting team going into 2020. They did, you know, they had a five and eleven season last year in 2019. But as you observed on one of your recent episodes at Locked On Dolphins, it's not really you're not really seeing a lot of negative energy around this team heading into 2020. In fact, there's a lot of excitement, I'd say. So how is it that Miami managed to curve the negative narrative?
3: Yeah, I think when you look at the way they started last season, especially Trading Laramie Tunsell less than a week before the season starts, and trading Minka Fitzpatrick after week two against the Patriots, and the team starts zero and seven, and the narrative is tank for Tua, mm-hmm. and th- you know whether or not we need to be calling the competition committee to investigate the Dolphins because. They, they they feel a cover zero blitz on third and eight that goes for a touchdown just before half against Pittsburgh on primetime football is this prime example of the Dolphins aren't trying to win football games. Well, right. they finished the season five and four in their final nine football games. They have the win in New England against the Patriots in Week 17 in a game that the Patriots needed to secure a first-round bye mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And you saw how Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brian Flores kind of Energized this team and got them to buy into the message that they were selling. And it just really took, honestly, with all of the roster turnover that they had, it took about two months for them to kind of settle in and get their bearings with so many new pieces about them. But taking that momentum and projecting it forward with 10 plus draft picks and all the money they spend in free agency just to bring in, you know, talented, versatile defenders like Kyle Van Noy and Byron Jones, there's a lot of energy moving in the right direction for the Miami Dolphins.
2: So I have to ask you now the obligatory question for any Dolphins media personnel. Can you tell us a bit about the best case scenario and what that might look like for the Dolphins at quarterback in 2020?
3: Yeah, it's kind of this this great big mystery where you'd love to see Tua get as many snaps as possible and get his feet wet. It's not the pure evaluation year that the Dolphins had last year, but from a quarterback perspective from Tua, uh... they they clearly feel pretty good about him because they cut josh rosen when it came time to cut the roster down to 53 players, uh, I think in a perfect world, the dolphins probably stay competitive. They float around 500. And as long as they do that, Ryan Fitzpatrick will probably continue to start. And they're not in any rush to start Tua. They're playing the mm-hmm. long game here with him, but in a perfect world, yeah, you'd probably get five to uh, five or six starts for Tua before the end of the year, if the dolphins fall off the pace. And if they don't in their playoff contention, hey, Hey, Patrick Mahomes only started one game his his rookie season. That would be a perfectly fine outcome for the Dolphins with two as well.
2: Wrapping up here with Kyle Krabs, joining us to talk Miami Dolphins at Grinding the Tape on Twitter and host the Locked on Dolphins podcast. Kyle, you did a fantastic breakdown that people can check out over at DolphinsWire.USAToday.com with the comparison of the 2020 and 2019 Miami starters. How does this season and this season's team so far compare and what expectations should fans have heading into 2020?
3: Yeah, I, I know Peter King from NBC Sports just predicted the Dolphins to win the AFC East this year. Ooh. I wouldn't quite go that <laughs> far. That's a little rich even for my blood. But I would say this. There's so many new pieces, new offensive and defensive coordinators. Obviously, they pro- promoted from within for Josh Boyer, the defensive backs coach, to take over the defense for Patrick Graham, who took the same job in New York with the Giants. Uh, Chang Gailey, now the offensive coordinator half of the starting lineup is new players. There are so many new pieces, kind of look at it as a less extreme version of last year in which this team's probably gonna start slow, especially when you take into account the limited reps from the coronavirus pandemic and Mm -hmm. all the concessions the NFL has had to make. But I'm expecting around 500, this team to float around 500, seven and nine, eight and eight by the end of the season. I expect them to continue to get better from the start of the season to the end of the season and the talent is better. It's not mm-hmm. a finished product by any means, and there will be peaks and valleys, but at the very least, last year's roster, it didn't have a lot of talent. Somebody got cut, they weren't claimed, there was nobody interested in those players. The Dolphins, now they've infused talent into this roster. Now it's just a matter of getting that to gel.
2: Kyle, such a pleasure talking to you about these Miami Dolphins. Best of luck all throughout the season over at Locked on Dolphins. Appreciate you coming through.
3: Oh, Anytime, thanks for having me. All
1: right, I'm here with John Butchko of Locked on Jets. Thanks for joining me, John. And the first thing I want to ask about is, of course, the quarterback, Sam Darnold, going into his third year. He's been really inconsistent and, you know, at least when healthy, missed a whole bunch of 2019. Um, but can we expect any more consistency for him coming into the third year? Or is this just going to kind of be who he is, where he's somebody who's a week-to-week proposition you don't know what you're going to get?
9: Well, I think you're hoping for more consistency heading into this season. But I think it's important to put the context of the situation he was in his first two years. The Jets have really done a horrible job building around him. Um, The offensive line play has been really below average the last couple of years. The skilled players have been mediocre. And while that still may be true this year, one of the things you have to remember is that Darnold is actually younger than Joe Burrow. If he had stayed throughout his career at USC, this would have been his draft year. So I look at it from the standpoint, yes, he's been inconsistent, but I think more or less with a few really bad games mixed in, he's held his head above water. And when you look at a guy who still really should should have been in college those two years, working against NFL defenses without a great supporting cast around him, I, I think it's actually kind of promising when you put it into the proper context. Again, you look at how young he was, younger than Joe, Joe Burrow. So I think almost any young quarterback his age would have struggled, would have looked very inconsistent if they were put into Darnold's surroundings the first two years. So I still think there, there's a lot of room for optimism around him.
1: I guess it makes sense, yeah, with his youth. And if you kind of went into the last two years with not much expectation, it would be reasonable to say that okay, now you know he's got a little older, and now we can sort of expect, uh, or or at least place an expectation on him for a little bit of improvement. But it kind of seems like there's a, a dark cloud hanging over a lot of the Jets, and and maybe that's just like the the few Jets people that I. Follow and keep tabs on, but it doesn't seem like the expectations for the Jets are that high. I mean, is this a team that we can say, no, we think we can be a playoff team? Are we in another
9: rebuilding year? Where are we at with this Jets roster right now? I think I read an article the other day from Pro Football Focus that said no team has a wider range of potential outcomes than the Jets because if it all clicks for them, they could potentially be a playoff team because you have Darnold who. hoping we'll take the next step this year you have an offensive line with four new starters you still have a defense coached by Greg Williams who did a good job getting good results out of a defense without a ton of talent last year so I think there's a scenario where it all could fall into place for the Jets but I think more realistically I mean this is a team that's kind of at the start of another rebuild I mean this team has been in what I might term a perpetual rebuild since 2013. They've had a number of false starts. Look, this is a team that traded its best player for draft picks before the start of training camp. I think in that context, you'd have to say that this is a team more focused on the future than on the present. So what I would say is that I think I think the Jets are kind of at the start of a build there's, they, they're going to have multiple first-round picks the next two drafts. They're going to have a lot of cap space this coming offseason. And they have a GM who seems to be the first guy in quite a while for this franchise and Joe Douglas, who has a clear plan that he's looking to implement. So, you know, I, I don't know that the Jets are necessarily going to have success this year. I think it's possible. But I think this is a team that's more looking for the long term. And I mean, the other thing I would add to this is that I don't think low expectations are necessarily the worst thing in the world for this team, because in recent Jets history, there have been plenty of off seasons where they've quote unquote quote one free agency, they made a lot of splashy moves, they brought in big names, they came into the season with bigger expectations. And the team did not live up to them so i don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world for the jets to enter the season with kind of kind of off the radar with low expectations maybe they can surprise some people without the, that kind of pressure on them
1: it'd be a pretty chaotic division and it's kind of an accomplishment to be maybe the most chaotic team in the afc east john thank you so much for uh, giving me your wisdom my pleasure all right, everybody, thank you very much for joining us on this Tuesday episode of Locked
2: on NFL. Once again, for my good friend, Luke Braun, I am Ross Jackson. You can follow Luke on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. myself on Twitter at Ross Jackson NFL. Make sure you come back tomorrow to get the lowdown, the skinny, everything you need to know about the NFC and AFC North. That's going to be brought to you by Tony Wiggins and James Rappian of. Locked on Jags and Locked on Bengals. Come back Thursday for the preview. Got Chris and Ryan taking care of you, and then we'll wrap up with a review of the Thursday night game, and then everything you need to know going into the Friday games, including where you should put your bets over the weekend. That's your boy Q, Bo Brock from over at Locked on Cards, and a gambling expert from the Action Network. We appreciate you coming through, and we will see you again tomorrow here on Locked on NFL. And Luke and I will holler at you next week.